Welcome to Love Letters from Jesus, the podcast that brings you the Sermon of the Week, with your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Hello and welcome to another edition of Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. We are here recording in the facilities of Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in beautiful Fredericksburg, Texas. It has been a while since I've had the opportunity to record one of these episodes, but I'm glad to do it today and look forward to sharing this with you as soon as possible. Today we want to talk a little bit about marriage and some of the things about marriage based on Ephesians, some of the questions that come up during uh, pre-marriage counseling, and we'll go through that a little bit today in our sermon today is also a sermon about marriage as well. So, many times couples come in and they want to talk about their wedding plans. <clears throat> they have all kinds of ideas. And then we go through the vows and sometimes the bride, usually it's the bride, wants to change the vows that we have and there really is no need because they don't like a certain word because they don't understand that certain word and that word is submit but that word is a very biblical word but it has bad connotations in english but we need to understand it because it's a biblical word because God calls wives to submit to their husbands. And that's right out of the book of Ephesians. And God is not talking about slavery. And that's what we want to talk about today. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, where God gives us his word through the pen of the apostle Paul. Wives Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, 
just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. So we really shouldn't stumble over that word submit. Some translations have the word obey. It really is the same. Um, what is God talking about there? God is not talking about slavery. He is not talking about a subclass. When you go back to the order of creation in Genesis, what did we find? We found that God said it was not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So after he gave him the job of naming all the creatures and let Adam notice that for every male creature, there was a female partner. And I'm using the word partner, aren't I? Okay. And then he noticed there was not a corresponding female partner for himself. Adam was alone. So then God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took from his side a rib, a bone near his heart, and he formed a woman, and he brought that woman to him, and he rejoiced over her. And that song he sang was the first wedding song, if you will. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He rejoiced over her. You see, and that was a sinless wedding. A perfect time. There was no sin. So the whole idea is that they would work together. One person needs to be the leader. And God said the man will lead his wife. But they would work together. They needed each other. They both had talents and abilities. They both needed each other. And in working together and doing what each other could with their given talents and abilities, they both could work toward a common goal. And that's the idea here. So it's not the idea of the woman living in fear of her husband, not at all. That's not what God calls for at all. So when it calls here that Wives, submit to your husbands. It's mean more of the idea that the wife is in love with her husband and that she is working together as a willing partner with her husband, just as she is a Christian woman who submits to the Lord and is totally in tune in her faith with the Lord as well. And the man will provide the leadership in the marriage, and the woman will be there to provide 
her guidance as well. So they work together. They work together. They plan together. They talk things over. They make decisions together. That's the idea. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, Christ doesn't lord it over us. Christ doesn't treat us in a demeaning way. Nor should the husband treat his wife in a demeaning way. <clears throat> so, if you have that proper understanding of submit, now it's not a big deal. Christ loves his people. If you think of yourself at, like in a marriage relationship with Christ, and you're the bride, and Christ is the groom, he loves you so much that he was willing to die on the cross to take away your sins and make you beautiful so that you were acceptable to enter heaven. So with that as the goal for the husband's love, and a husband's love will never equal that of Christ, a husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. Paul writes. That's the goal for the husband's love. And if the wife knows that she is going to be loved in such a complete and wonderful way by her husband, of course she's going to want to work with him. That's the idea of the word submit. Do you see then? It's not a big idea. It's not a big problem, rather, to have that in your vows. I once had a lady say to me, how can you have, I can't have that in my vows because all my liberal friends will just faint in church. Well, then I explained to her what that's all about, but she was still more worried about her liberal friends than she was actually thinking about the truth of the scriptures. We need to get our mind right. We need to get our heart right. What is God saying here? How are we actually getting ourselves ready for marriage? You see, it's not all about your friends and what they're going to think of your wedding. It's about you getting your mind and your heart right. It's not about the party so much. That's going to be over in a day. It's not about so much you playing princess for a day. It's going to be over in a day. I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be nice, but it's going to be over in a day. It's getting your heart and your mind ready for the rest of your life and making sure that your marriage is a marriage where you're going to be on track with your spouse and that your marriage is 
going to be a marriage that involves you and Christ and your spouse. That's what it's about. So you can prepare best if you're in the Word of God together before you get married. Before you get married. Don't worry about the venue so much. Be more concerned that you're doing Bible study together. Be more concerned that you're understanding the commitment that you're making to each other and be eager for that. It's about the little things like the word submit here and understanding that and that that's a willing commitment to work together, a willing commitment to work together with your spouse for the rest of your life with the eager expectation that your spouse, your husband, is going to love you as he loves his own body, that his goal in life is to love you as Christ loves the church. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error with that. Because husbands are not Jesus. But they have a whole life to work on being Christ-like. And it's a lot of trial and error. There's going to be a lot of forgiveness. A lot of trying and failing. And a lot of repentance and forgiveness but a lot of fun and a lot of joy too. But we have to be willing to, to work together. And that's what the apostle is calling for here. And that's what the word submit is all about. It's not big and scary because it does not have the scary English connotations that we typically think of because remember the word submit here in the Bible originally was translated from the Greek. It's a Greek New Testament word and it really means a partnership to work together and Jesus leads us. He's our head. And he doesn't treat us in a demeaning way. Neither should your husband. But he'll work together with you and lead you and be kind to you. And that's easy to submit to. So we need to be careful as we choose our spouse. That's why... It's good to pray for a godly spouse. Peter, in his writing, in 1 Peter, has some other advice for wives I'd like to share with you at this time, too. 
He writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, wives in the same way be submissive. There's that word again, and it has the same meaning, that same partnership. Be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their Hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands. So this is not saying that you can't have makeup. This is not saying that you can't have uh, ribbons in your hair or use jewelry. It's not saying that. It's saying don't depend on those things for beauty. Your beauty should come from within. And the more you are filled with the spirit of God and stay in the word of God, that's what will happen. That inner beauty will come out. And your husband, if your husband is not a believer, he will, he will notice that. And you can win your husband over with that with that faithfulness to the word with that gentle and quiet submissive spirit and that by submissive again that being a faithful wife who is a good partner okay not that her husband's treating her in a demeaning way, no. Many of these husbands like who are unbelievers are good husbands. They just don't believe the word. And their believing wives constantly are in the word, going to church, and are an example of Christ in their home, and they notice that. They notice that, that beauty from within, and eventually, without words even, they win them over for Christ. So what Peter has to say here is very powerful. So understand the word sub submit and correctly he's talking about a very powerful thing that partnership that you're willing to follow your husband work with your husband be his suitable helper as god said in genesis and work with him because you love him why do you marry that man 
because you're in love with him. Your God has brought you together to be his suitable helper. You fit each other perfectly. And then you get married. So concentrate on that relationship. And don't be afraid to continually witness your faith with your life and with your godly actions. Continue through your submission to give a faithful witness to Christ in your home. That's a whole other way of thinking of it, isn't it? Look at how Christ submitted to his Father's will in order to save us. He obeyed the Father's will. He did everything God the Father asked him to do so that we can go to heaven to take away our sin and our guilt and our shame. What a wonderful Savior we have. Dear friends, it has been a pleasure to speak with you today. The sermon is coming up next. It is based on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It will tell you that God is the inventor of marriage and that we should follow his plan for it. Stick around for the sermon. I know you'll enjoy it. God bless your day. and peace to you from God our Father from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the word of God be with you as we look to the book of Hebrews today the word of God for our consideration today is Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And our theme today, God invented marriage. God made males and females. God protects marriage. My dear Christian friends, You've ever, have you ever bought a kit of any kind? Let's say for our example today, you bought a bicycle, but you bought a kit. Because you were going to put it together at home and save the assembly fee. And as you open the box, you recognize this bicycle came with a book of instructions on how to put it together. And who wrote that book? Well, the guy that invented the bicycle wrote that book for you. And if you're like a lot of people, you've decided then you don't need to read it. So you put the bicycle together without reading the book. Now, do you think that the individual that put that invented that bicycle might know something more than you 
about that bicycle? So you go ahead and you build the bicycle. But when you're done, you have a handful of metal parts left over. But you get on the bicycle and you you ride it and it seems to work, but not perfectly. Do you think the inventor of that bicycle had a purpose for that handful of parts that you couldn't quite figure out where they all go? It is better to read the directions. So you end up after you ride the bike for a while and it's not working quite right and not stopping all the time. It only stops sometimes. And you're thinking to yourself, this is kind of dangerous. The brakes only work like half the time. I'm going to go back now and I'm going to read the directions. I'm going to figure out where those parts belong. Because my bicycle looks good, but it's actually kind of dangerous. And I'm going to do it the right way this time. The thing I should have done in the first place. Well, God is the inventor of marriage. And he calls it holy matrimony. He calls it honorable. And he says it's beautiful. He created a beautiful thing and he he gave it to us. And he wants us to do it his way. Not the world's way. The world has taken it and defiled it and made it something else. But he still wants us to do this his way. And the writer to the Hebrews is underscoring that way back in Genesis, when God first invented marriage, that that still is what God wants us to do. Let's go back to Genesis just for a little bit and recognize what God did there. In Genesis chapter 2, reading some selected verses here. Then the Lord, Lord in all caps, the God of free and faithful grace, the God who is the God of love and salvation. Then the Lord God formed a man, not many men, just one, a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And the man became a living being. He didn't do this with any other creature he made. He took a special moment and did this. Everything else, he spoke the word and it began to be. With man, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man, the Hebrew word is Adam, So he became named Adam. So he made a man. And then later on in the same chapter, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a 
helper suitable for him. And that suitable, the word suitable means one that fits him in every way. One that is equal to his intelligence. One that is the corresponding physical partner to him. One that will work with his biology. One that will work with his intelligence. A suitable partner. In every way. So before he gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So God had him name all these animals that he had created. But he also wanted him to notice there was not another creature like him. That for every creature out there, there was a male and there was a female. And Adam noticed there was not another creature that corresponded to him. He noticed that he was the male, but there wasn't a female. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. And then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, and this was really the first wedding song. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He was joyful. You see, what did God make here? He made a man, and then from the rib he took out of the man, he made a woman. He didn't make a lot of women. He made one. He didn't say, hey, I made a bunch of these women here. Now, Adam, you choose. Which one do you like? No. He made one. And he brought the man and the woman together into a marriage relationship. You see? He did not make two women. He did not make two men. What did he make? One man, one woman. And he brought them together, and there was the first wedding. Without shoes that pinch, without a wedding dress, and 900 alterations. You see, without all the trappings that we get so wound up in, the bride didn't get angry at bridesmaids who wouldn't cooperate. All of those worldly things that really are no, not important... In the end, I know, how dare the pastor say that? Um, those are all manifestations of a sinful world. Keep that in mind. This was a perfect wedding. There was no sin here. And God was the pastor, and he married them, and he brought them together. And there was one man and one woman, and they 
they fell in love and he brought them together and they were perfect for each other because he made them for each other one man and one woman there are no other genders there's male and there's female that's it that's what the Bible tells us. This is God's truth. The world's going to try to tell you other things. There are university professors that are going to try to teach our children other things. But this is God's truth. There are two genders. There are males and there are females. And God brings males and females together and he brings a bond of love between males and females and he causes them to fall in love. And that's what God does. And God wants us to exercise self-control and now in this sinful world we have a time where we date then later on maybe we are engaged and we plan our wedding and then we get married the sexual union is meant only for the married couple within the bonds of marriage not before and not outside with somebody that you're not married to and that's what Hebrews is talking about marriage should be honored by all he's talking to single people and to married people marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep marriage pure. See? And God talked this way in the sixth commandment too. You shall not commit adultery. And then Luther wrote, We should fear and love God that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions and husband and wife love and honor each other. God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment of one man and one woman to live together as husband and wife. It is at the heart of God's design for human relationships in the intimate relationship of marriage. God brings companionship and great joy through husband and wife, children enter this world and God establishes families. Then God uses the family to nourish and train children and to pass along the truths of salvation to another generation. It is no surprise that Satan, the world, and our own sinful nature seek to undermine God's gift of marriage. Often people enjoy the pleasures of marriage without the commitment. Husbands and wives are tempted to break the promises they made to each other 
So many forces around us seek to ruin this beautiful gift. In the sixth commandment, we discover how God helps us to defend the blessing of marriage. You see, God gives us a beautiful thing, and He wants us to keep it beautiful. He wants us to keep it beautiful. St. Paul speaks to this because it was a difficult struggle for the Corinthians, too. He writes to them, saying, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer that come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then he goes on in verse 8. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So what God says here is clear. He wants us to honor the gift he gives us and to live in a righteous way before him. Because he is a holy God. Yet when we do sin, he reminds us that we are people who have a Savior. Jesus Christ, who has come into the world to purify us from all guilt and sin and has taken away all of our sin and all of our sins have been laid upon him. Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, has come into the world to purify us. You think about the different people that Jesus met in his ministry. You think about the woman at the well. Why did she go out to the well when it was 116 degrees? She didn't go out there with the other women because she was embarrassed. Because she was with a man she wasn't married to. She was embarrassed about how she was living. Jesus met her out there on purpose to talk about how she was living. And he talked to her and said, it is true, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now, he's not your husband. And he talked to her about how she's living. And called her to repentance. But let her know that he's the Savior. 
He didn't tell her, you're going to hell. He told her that she needs to repent and that there is forgiveness through him, through Jesus Christ. How about the woman caught in adultery that they dragged out and they were ready to stone? What did Jesus do there? Whoever is without sin may cast the first stone. And they dropped their stones and they walked away. Did he approve of her lifestyle? No. He called sin, sin. He told her she needs to repent. To change her life. Not to live this way. He didn't condone her life at all. But he let her know there was forgiveness and that she could change. When we sin, according to the sixth commandment, God tells us there's time to change. God tells us there is forgiveness. He calls us to repent. He tells us that that's why his son Jesus has come to take away all of our sins. He has come to unburden us. As we go through our marriage lives, we take our beautiful marriage, which started out on that married day, so beautiful and bright, and as we go through our life of marriage, Things get muddy and dirty along the way. But through the forgiveness of Jesus, it's bright and beautiful again. Because Jesus purifies us. Jesus forgives us. Jesus takes away everything that is impure. Everything that is a stain caused by sin. And makes us pure again. So that we and our spouse can look at our marriage and not see the sins and recognize the greatness of God's forgiveness. God sent his one and only son into the world to forgive me of my sins against the sixth commandment too. So that I can... have a wonderful marriage relationship and improve marriage relationship with my spouse. Because in a sinful world, you're never going to have a perfect marriage. Adam and Eve's marriage relationship after sin wasn't perfect either. They sinned too. But God forgave their sins. How good it is that God has sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take away the sins of the world. And that we are saved by God's amazing grace through faith in Christ alone. That the blood of Jesus Christ has purified us from every guilty stain, no matter what it is. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to rejoice in that. In our catechism, at the end of every set 
of the commandments, we get to read the question, what did Jesus do to save me from this sin? And it tells me Jesus kept this commandment perfectly for me. And then Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins against this commandment. And it's very repetitive. It says this at the end of every one of these commandments in my catechism. Because we need to hear that. Jesus has taken away our sins. And what Hebrews is telling us is very important. Let us live in a way where we keep our marriage pure. God has given us a beautiful thing. And to those who are going to get married someday, keep that in mind. It is a beautiful gift from God. An honorable thing. A holy thing. We do not want to defile it. But it is God who removes the stain of sin and makes it beautiful again when we, whatever it is that we defile with sin. It is God who makes it beautiful again. That is why we confess our sins. That is why we turn to Him for forgiveness. That's why we come to Holy Communion. So that we may go on our way rejoicing, having received the forgiveness of God through the love of His Son and the forgiveness of His Son. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic, and I look forward to you listening again. Once again, if you liked our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. Look forward to having you listen to us again. Have a great week.